Welcome to Commentaries from the Edge. This is Karen Goldberg, and here's what's coming up. I'm delighted to be in the offices of Aaron Paley, co-founder and president of Community Arts Resources. And I'm sitting here in his offices in Los Angeles, a place which has become really his place to design and create whole new concepts of how you can bring a community like Los Angeles together. And this was something he started with his co-founders 34 years ago at a time when Los Angeles had a reputation for both being a place that was all kinds of neighborhoods in search of a city, and at the same time, interestingly, abbreviation for community arts resources is CARS LA, and in fact, it was known as a city of cars. And what Aaron has done is bring us out of the cars into all kinds of an amazing activities that really have new concepts for public space. So Aaron, welcome. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thank you. This is, this is a delight to be with you and to have this conversation. And it's, it's so good to, to have a chance to have a, a reconnection with you mm -hmm. from years ago and to really kind of look at all that's been accomplished in these 34 years. And I you know, didn't mention that you're award-winning for so many of the programs you've, you've created. So we'll, we'll go into the details of that. But I thought before we actually get into the programming of CARS, that you tell us a little bit about how you even had this vision as a native of the Los Angeles 34 years ago in a whole different world. Well, I don't think we had uh, that Katie and I, so I created this company with Katie Bergen, who's my co-founder, and Katie and I started working together in 1982, and we started doing events in public space uh, with the Crafts and Folk Art Museum. Um, Edith Wiley of Blessed Memory, uh, who had this amazing idea to do the International Festival of Masks, which brought all the different cultures of Los Angeles together through the metaphor of the mask. And that's how we met, and it really, in many ways, that blueprint that Edith Wiley created of community engagement and respect for all these different communities and looking at what LA had to offer and putting that on stage is really in our DNA, in the, in the DNA of the company. But I don't think we, when we started, we had this huge vision that we could go, that now we can look back and say, oh, look, there's these dots and they all fit together. But it wasn't, it was much more organic. We just wanted to, we were just having fun uh, doing festivals and producing events and thinking about doing it for Los Angeles at a time, as you said, when LA didn't have the respect that we thought it deserved. So we wanted to highlight the local communities, local arts and culture, and we gave the name, uh, name to the company, Community Arts Resources, which we use, uh, we shortened to CARS, because we wanted to be iconic. We felt that people weren't respecting Los Angeles, and we wanted to say, we do, and actually if you look at our, our logo, um, it's also a map of downtown LA. So it's like, this is LA. We believe in Los Angeles. I remember, I also had a button at the time that said, we don't care how they do it in New York. Because <laughs> I kept getting these things like, oh, well, you're doing these things, but you should see what they're doing in New York. It's like, no, like, it's a very different place. Because uh, I had just moved back from New York and I had just moved back from Paris as well. So I had been in cities that 
fit the traditional definition of city, right? And LA does not fit the traditional definition of city. And I think that's hard for Angelinos to understand and it's hard for outsiders to understand. So in, just to answer your question, I don't think we knew, but we did have this sense, because both of us, Katie and I are both Angelinos, we're both from here. We both had that sense of like, what can we do to make this a better place? Well, you've done, you've done so much. And uh, you know, the fact is, it's amazing that one event like the Festival of the Mass could just, you know, pique your commitment to doing this as a lifetime work. I mean, this is like an example of you never know, right, when you start something where it, where it might lead. So, and then just what you're saying, you know, it's interesting that maybe from being from Paris, the experience in New York, I mean, that's, that's always been, there was that competition, you know, only in New York can these things happen, that you came with that determination to really see how you could transform the culture, really, of what it means to live in Los Angeles. You know, you, you think that, I mean, I mean, the way thinking about the ways the last 34 years that now Los Angeles has taken its place as a global city, we're one of the most diverse places on the planet in terms of culture. Do you see cars having kind of been ahead of itself and the contribution you've made to the evolution of us becoming a global, a global city? Well, that's interesting. So I think that us being a global city has a lot to do with that framing. Because what I mean is that I think we were a global city when we started. Um, in, when I started working with Katie in, in the 1980s, but nobody else recognized that at the time. I think that's the difference. I see. And because yeah. I, I also think we were an art city, and there were constantly these articles that would appear in magazines saying, LA is just coming of age as an arts capital. Look, they did this, as if we hadn't had arts prior to this. And, and, and actually, Getty's Pacific Standard Time, the first one, which redefined modern, like how, how Los Angeles really was a principal contributor to, post, to the post-war art world uh, after 1945 and rewrote, it literally rewrote the place of, of, of LA's history vis-a-vis -vis New York and Paris and the rest of the world, is an example of that. Like there are so many things that LA had and always had, but nobody was willing to see it for that. All right, well, that's the difference. So that you saw things, but maybe, you know, that's the definition of a visionary. I mean, you saw things that other people couldn't see. And, and you mentioned about, let, let's actually get into the Getty, the Getty experience that you're talking about. This is the, the famous J. Paul Getty Museum here in Los Angeles. And that's sort of the idea of kinds of programming that you're talking about. Tell us a little bit more about that, what, what that was. Well, that particular, I mean, the Getty is a major institution and they've been around now for 50 years uh, since they opened, since J. Paul Getty opened the villa in Malibu, and then of course they transformed with the, the, the Brentwood Center. But the Getty beyond that has uh, incredible means that it's, I think it's the richest cultural institution in the planet, I think with uh, an endowment of $6 billion. That enables the Getty to do these major initiatives beyond what other organizations usually do. And so Pacific Standard Time was uh, came out of the Getty Foundation, and it involved um, scores of organizations, of arts and cultural organizations around Southern California, uh, 
on, and they work on one particular theme. And they, they launched it, I guess it was 2011, was the first uh, Pacific Standard Time, which was really a rewriting of what the post-1945 era, the post-war era in the arts meant, and what role did Los Angeles play in that. Uh, and then they did uh, a, a wonderful Pacific Standard Time on modern architecture, and then another one on the relationship between Los Angeles and Latin America, which was also a rewriting. Yes. All of these are very important, and all of them are, I believe, are the kinds of things that happen in LA, because what they do is they, they really created a collaborative framework so that all these organizations are working together on a common theme. They provided resources so that those organizations could spend years on research and develop exhibitions and programming that reflected the theme in a deep and, and um, nuanced way and to go beyond um, the platitudes and to go deeper. So all of those things were really, I, I remember reading the review from the New York Times this jealous review about the Pacific Standard Time LALA and just saying this would never happen in New York. We could never get all these organizations to collaborate that this way together and to have this common vision, let alone to work on the same theme. So those are things that I think are possible in LA. And there's a lot of things that are possible in the, in the kind of disconnected, not disconnected, but the, uh, the disparate frame of the city, right? This is a city without um, I mean, there is a downtown, but nobody, not, not, not everybody recognizes downtown as the center. Everybody has their own center, depending on where you live. Like it could be Brentwood, Century City, Pasadena, Hancock Park, Compton, uh, Lemert Park, Long Crenshaw, Beach. Long Beach. I mean, all of these things are valid centers, and though you, you organize your life around that. And Los Angeles, with this multipolar, multinodal city, where there isn't necessarily this, this place that everybody agrees is the place where everybody goes, right? That's like downtown. There allows us this geography, that the geography allows us to do things in a different way. It challenges us to do things in a different way. And that's really affected our programming as well. I mean, we, what we realize is that you can't just, when you create an event in Los Angeles, it has resonance in that area. And it's very difficult to have resonance for the entire civic metropolis. This is a really big place. Uh, and, and especially with the change in media and that the, the press isn't as, like not everybody reads the LA Times anymore. Not everybody watches the, the, the seven o'clock news on CBS. So everyone's getting their feeds from different areas. So you're really working locally and you're trying to figure out how can, I, how can we make an impact here first? Uh, and it's always a challenge to make an impact on the larger stage. So the Getty was able to do it, of course, with those incredible resources in, in involving many organizations and things like Ciclavia. But I just want to, yeah, before we get into Ciclavia, which is really an amazing idea for Los Angeles on many different levels. But the fact is that you, in a sense, you didn't invent something. It's more as if there, what was there you tapped into in a way that no one had thought of tapping into because everything that you're talking about goes against the grain of how, let's say, people generally living in Los Angeles would not think that you could uh, tap into the art, the culture, the collaboration, and, and create something because they would think that you know, no, one, no one would be interested, that interested in coming together 
that uh, people didn't really understand what you're saying, the value of what happened here in the art world post-World War II, and then just tapping into the amazing cultures we've always had, but it's only multiplied tremendously, right, in the last, mm -hmm. I would say, especially last 20 years. So here we have, as you mentioned, Ciclavia, which really goes against that, you know, sort of title under Los Angeles, the city of cars. Yeah. So yeah. How, did, how did you come up with that amazing thought that, okay, let's get people out of their cars? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to say there's two things I want to respond to there. So we're going to get to Ciclavia. But the first is you said, like, what people expect. And I feel like there's, again, like a, a narrative about L.A., about, the, about what L.A. is. So it's like, oh, L.A. is a city of cars. Or the narrative is L.A. is a place without a center. Or the narrative is L.A. is a place that doesn't care about arts and culture or whatever that is. And, and we've always, we've never listened to those. Because we believe those, are, those aren't narratives that, as an Angelino, that I hear. I mean, or, or that, I, that, that resonate with me. So I've always heard other, you know, I always knew that there was culture lurking everywhere. Uh, and I knew this growing up in the valley, where I grew up um, in this very rich uh, cultural community that... Uh, was Jewish and saw Yiddish as the backbone of Jewish culture. So I grew up with this incredibly rich uh, well, cultural tradition. Culture, you had the sense of culture deeply inside of you. And, well, and, but I knew it's not just that, but I had my own way of growing up and I knew that all these other people had grown up in their own worlds. And so there was Okay. And, and that so you when projected your experience onto other people. Well, I saw it. I, I didn't have to project it. I actually it came back to me. Like when I saw the international, when we went to the, when I saw the first festival of masks in 1982, and I saw like 80 different cultures from Los Angeles at this one festival. It was like there it is. There it is. Like okay. that's my my suspicion is, or is it's like not my suspicion. My sense of L.A. was reflected. I knew L.A. was an international city. I mean, I heard languages spoken. I met people from different cultures. And so, and it was, it was basically a big, I, I guess, media uh, untruth that Los Angeles didn't have culture or, and didn't have that. And so I knew that it was there and we revealed that and we, we trusted that people wanted that. I also think that it wasn't like we had this big idea that oh my God, we're taking this huge risk doing a festival and nobody's going to come. I had this sense, you know, it just was clear that there was a, a hunger for, to come together. And uh, Warren Christensen did the um, Garden Theater Festival at Barnesville Park in the 70s. And I remember going there as a teenager and seeing thousands of people, thousands of people like at night, Barn at Barnesville Theater Park, like having at Barnesville Park, having this incredible theatrical experience in different stages all around. I was like, wow. And there were there were all of these clues that even just to go to Venice Beach and see all the in, in the 70s and see or 60s and 70s when I was growing up and my go visit my grandmother who lived at Venice. You know, you could see people out there on the streets. The question was, why wasn't it happening more often? And the form of L.A., we felt, was 
it's hard. It's hard because people are in their cars. It's hard because there aren't public spaces. It's hard because uh, there weren't. So spread out. They're spread out, and there weren't. The, you had to give them the excuse. If you give them the excuse, they came. I mean, and I remember so. So every, to speak, an excuse. Yeah, yeah. Like here's the thing: come together for this festival. Come together for this event, and and though and then people showed up, and even. And that, I had that growing up. I knew that there was that experience. If you had the excuse, the event, the date, people would show up. And Angelinos did do come, right? They go to the theater. They, they have that kind of date. So we trusted and we knew that that was there. And then the idea of Ciclavia, so I'll, I'll take a... Is that, is that, I, is that okay? You just go right into Ciclavia? No, actually, actually you just... Yeah, perfect segue into Ciclavia. So with Ciclavia... So at that around 2009, I had um, I applied to the Durfee Foundation for this thing called the Stanton Fellowship, and the Stanton Fellowship challenges people to work on an issue in Los Angeles. And so I said, "What's my issue? My issue is." And by 20, 2009, I'd already been working producing in public space for 27 years, and I said, "Okay, I've been doing this for quite a while now." Um, what, I actually want to figure out how to go to the next layer level up. Like, okay, so we've been activating public space. Is there another way? Can we do this on a bigger scale? Could we do this better? Should we do it in a different place? I didn't know. So that was my thesis, like how to better activate public space in Los Angeles. And so I started on this endeavor and, and ended up, and it could take an entire podcast for me to tell you, how I ended up at Ciclovia in Bogota, but I ended up with a. I ended up in Colombia because somebody told me there was this amazing thing called Ciclovia in Bogota that had started, um, and I wasn't quite sure when it started. I thought maybe the eighties, and I was like, so so it was like I looked I, I looked online at something called Streets Film. Street films, and they had this amazing seven-minute video on. And I just said, "We're going to, we're going to Colombia." And I told my wife and to, uh, Judith, and she said, um, "No fucking way! Like, like, like narco terrorism! Like, like, we are not going to Colombia because Colombia in 2009 uh, did not have." And I said, "No, you know, actually, it's it's safe now. It's things have changed, and this is absolutely amazing." And so. What they had done is created this car-free streets every Sunday, uh, 80 miles of, of streets. So are, the entire of, city of it's 80 miles, city. interconnected, every Sunday. Every 80 day. miles of streets. The streets closed. The streets are talking. opened. Oh, the streets are open. The streets are opened. Oh, okay. They're closed to cars. cars They're closed open to, to us. Yes. This is like uh, actually at my first conference on car-free streets, um, Gil uh, Peñalosa said, you, we're not closing the streets, we're opening them. And I was like, oh my God, that is genius. Just that shift, because uh -huh. we are. We're, we're, these, these are public spaces that we use every day and that belong to us. You know, if you take all the streets in Los Angeles, in the city of Los Angeles, it's the size, and it took their surface area, that's the size of the city of San Francisco. So the streets have tremendous power, and we just, have made this social agreement that they're for cars and they're not for us. But those streets are ours and we can repurpose them at any time. We have, we have the power, like you can see with the marathon. So with 
Yes, the See, marathon is a great example. Yeah, the mar and the marathon the had existed. All, all over. It started uh, in LA with the Olympics in '84, but it's like, yeah, we're going to take the streets and turn them over to some, a different use for a, a certain amount of time. Then we'll give them back to you guys in the cars, and that's okay. So with Ciclovia, uh, the cars are removed from the from a, 80, a network of 80, 80 miles of streets in Bogota, and every every Sunday a million people come out and participate. That is and it is incredible and it has changed the city and it's changed the reputation of the city and it's changed how people see themselves in Bogota. So we wanted to, I, I ended up, uh, turned out that there was an, uh, a small committee of people with the LA County Bicycle Coalition that was working on the exact same idea. And so I wrote a, an op-ed in LA Magazine saying that the mayor Villaraigosa in the second term should do something like Ciclovia. These people read about it, and they, they called me up, and they said, hey, we're working on the same thing. We got together, and I like to say that that's when the bicycles and the cars met, because they were really from many, from, many of the people on that founding committee were hardcore bicyclists, and I was not. I didn't own a bicycle at the time, and I was really approaching this from a public space perspective. But we brought the concept of Ciclovia to Los Angeles, and renamed it Ciclavia, changing the O to an A to be Los Angeles. And honestly, it's changed. It's become the most beloved open streets event in the United States. Uh, e easily 50 to 200,000 people attend. Uh, it's now up to eight events a year. It started in our company, or our company was Community, uh, Community Arts, Arts Resources was the incubator, because there was this committee and we would meet in actually in this office right here where we're sitting and have these conversations. There were people from the transportation world, the environmental world, the public health world, the bicycling world, the government world. Uh, all of us had come together. Uh, there was just 12 of us on the founding committee and said, we're going to bring this here. And then we started with seven and a half miles uh, that went uh, from East Hollywood to downtown LA, Little Tokyo, across the bridge, across the 4th Street Bridge into Boyle Heights. Uh, that was the first one. So you're, and you're practicing what you were talking about. This idea of, you know, you couldn't do the entire city of Los Angeles at one time, but with Ciclovia, you took it section by section. Well, Ciclovia actually was the first time, I think, that a, something that Cars was working on exploded in the, in the public's imagination and moved the needle. Like, I feel like if, I've, if any, if after all of the events that Katie and I have done over the years together, Ciclovia is the one that has the most traction, that's really caught on, that people are excited about, that people have heard about, that they participate in. And when we did these, I mean, to go from East Hollywood to um, Boyle Heights with the first one, seven and a half miles, that, there was like 12 communities that were interconnected. And that right. really did feel like the scale of the city. And that was mm -hmm. got to the, you know, it was on the LA Times, above the fold, big picture of, you know, this happening. And for the first five or six Ciclovias, we were on the cover of the LA Times, above the fold, every time. Because it was such an amazing event. And, you know, in a way, it kind of didn't, it tied in with a moment that was, that came together, which is that idea of, uh, thinking about the environment yeah. and the relationship yeah. to the cars and people feeling, well, what can we do about it? And then here comes Ciclovia. Yeah, I, I felt it like it did. It was at the right time, at the right place. 
uh, people wrote about it. People were excited to in, in participate in it. Uh, people, I think, and, and many other people have said, it's like the it's the the day in LA that when you want to be here is on a ciclovia and participate. It's the most fun. You see in LA, you see LA completely transformed from what it is because people are out in the streets. They're in public space together. They're talking to each other. They're, all these barriers that we have are broken, have been broken down with a ciclovia, and it allows people to just have these conversations at the stoplight because you're not like in your car, like like turning on the music or like whatever. You're actually right there with maybe you know a hundred other people waiting for the the light to change. But from what you you know what I've learned about community arts resources from you and just being here, living in Los Angeles, is you, you've really been a master at breaking down barriers. On, on many, not just the Ciclavia, but this idea of cultures coming together, public spaces coming together, because people hadn't really believed it was possible. You, you say you saw it was possible, but I would guess, especially when you first started Community Arts Resources, people thought you're doing the impossible. Um, maybe. I mean, I remember very clearly, like, uh, before we started Cars, um, I did the Fringe Festival. Uh, so I was the director of the first Fringe Festival in the United States, and that was a response to the Olympic Arts Festival. And that, so the Olympic Arts Festival happened Which is in 1984, mm -hmm. and that was transformative. It was amazing. I went to opening night where Pina Bausch performed, which has literally changed my, my world and changed the world of dance and theater in the in the planet, uh, and she anyway. But that's a longer story. But the Olympic Arts Festival, what came out of that was um, the local artists and the local community felt that there wasn't they that they didn't get enough respect. You know, it's like Getting hey, back to the same, what about I mean, there was the same issue, same issue, and there was um, there was significant participation by local companies in the Olympic Arts Festival, but it they still wasn't enough. And it felt like the emphasis was really on the import of these amazing works from, from, from Europe. From different parts of the world. Mostly right. from Europe at that time. Yeah. And, um, and so the, Olymp the, the Fringe Festival was the response. So I would say about the Fringe Festival, which was huge, it was 10,000 artists, 500 events in 30 days. It was really quite remarkable. But we spent so much time kind of I spent all this time as the the director organizing it that we didn't we didn't do enough to market it and we didn't have the budget to market it. So what I learned was okay there's a whole bunch of barriers that exist in Los Angeles to people going to something. And we got to spend as much time on those barriers and on the audience as we do on thinking about the art and the programming the, and the production. The, yes. So because what had happened was I spent 90% of my time really on like organizing the festival and bringing things together and like dealing with all the issues and finding doing all that stuff and maybe five or 10% on marketing it was like, oh my God, that and, and I, I saw because I, you know, the fringe had some amazing things, but it they weren't all necessarily well attended. Many of the things were really poorly attended. It was like, oh, the barriers to participation by the audience are critical. So that's literally, then Cars got founded a year and a half later, and it was like, we've got to think about this from an audience perspective all the time. We, that just, we thought about that, like, where do people park? How do they get here? 
Do they perceive this as an event that's for them? Is, you know, how are we marketing it? Are we saying it's an art event? Is that actually turning people off? You know, should we call it maybe a fun family event as opposed to calling it an art event? How do we... Um, do how do we, you grow? How, how do you grow the, the number of people coming yeah. to the to whatever that event is that's so wonderful. And, well, and, and how do we lower the obstacles to participation? How do you lower the obstacles? So that's literally been a part of our vocabulary since we were created, and, and we've been thinking about that all the time. It's like, how we gotta make this happen in a way that people can come. And I can say, sometimes we get it wrong. You know, sometimes- But you know what the amazing thing that what you're describing to me is, is this idea that you're always problem solving. I mean, the community yeah. arts, has actually, you know, been able to accomplish so much because you're always looking at how do you solve the problem rather than thinking that whatever the problems are that come up in the civic life here, that it's insurmountable, which I think in the past people thought, well, you know, it's status quo. Whatever we have here, this is it. We can't change it. And you've made such an amazing mm -hmm. contribution to even, I think, you know, you, you had the way of thinking of what was possible, but you've made other people think what's possible at the same time. Well, for I'm what glad. you know, for whatever, not just for Los Angeles, but there's other cities in the world that are struggling. You know, I think of some place like Mexico City, for instance, which is huge and spread out, or Buenos Aires, Argentina, which is another, you know, 12 million people living together in huge space apart from mm -hmm. each other. So, you know, you really created something that people thought has not been possible and almost like if it can be happening in Los Angeles, it can happen in a lot of other cities in the world. That's, that's definitely something that I believe, that I, I believe that, just as you said, LA actually has more in common with Mexico City and Buenos Aires than we do with Paris and New York. Uh, we look for it, we actually, most of us speak the language they speak. We actually look like that city much more than we, uh, both physically and topo topographically. Yeah. From a, a, an urban structural standpoint, we resemble Mexico City much more closely than we resemble New York, Paris, London, Copenhagen, Amsterdam, any of those cities. And because of that, and there's, because actually I think, my thesis is that most of the people living in cities in, right now in the world live in cities that look more like Los Angeles than Paris. And therefore, um, the metaphor of what comes out of these great cities, and it, there's amazing urban planning things coming out of places like Bar Barcelona and, and Copenhagen. They're amazing, but we have to find a different way. And it was exciting that Ciclovia, which is now all over the world. There are open streets of it. I just was speaking to my friend Mar Marcela uh, Guerrero Casas, who lives in Johan. Uh, sorry, she lives in Cape Town, South Africa, and created the first um, car-free event on, on that continent. Really? I mean, there are car-free events in India, in Africa, in Australia, this is, this is in incredible. New Zealand. That's it's, just... it's all over the world, and it's it's a Latin American concept uh, that has spread, and we have. We actually, you know, you were just saying that maybe cars and what we've been doing have lessons from Mexico City and Buenos Aires. I actually feel like I want to learn from them uh -huh, because I, I feel like the, there's urban vitality in those cities that I still would like to see here in Los Angeles. Yes. Well, I have no doubt 
that when you see it, it will happen, <laughs> given, given your track record. And I know we have limited time right now, so I want to make sure and, and you know, give you an opportunity to talk about sort of what kind of visions you have coming now. Here we are into the second decade of the 21st century. How, how do you see cars moving as the way the, the world is evolving? That's a big question. So, well, there's a couple of things that are happening. Um, first, um, you know, and part of it is like cars is, the, our company is, is a small company and we're not a not-for-profit organization. So we, we kind of set ourselves up as a little business and we're trying to make a living and make a difference at the same time, right? Uh, so some of the times we don't get to call the shots. We don't always get to have this grand vision and just do whatever we want. I mean, it's amazing that Ciclavia took off the way it did because that was a huge investment of time and money on our part uh, in something that we believed in, but that we didn't see having a future. We just like, we're gonna do this thing we're gonna, we, I remember like doing the first one and just thinking, well, we've got $125,000 and cars is getting paid $10,000. Great. So, <laughs> you know, we got something out of this. But it was, it was huge and it became like this, literally grew into a $2 million a year organization that was... Which is now separate from cars. Which is in, completely right? independent. It was always mm -hmm. independent, even though the two of us were like literally under the same roof. And I was... It was, a, it was a very complicated hat trick. I was running two organizations at the same time. But just so one thing is that we're looking like, oh, okay, how do we just continue to find work to make everything come together so we actually meet payroll? Another thing is like, well, what are the opportunities? And so one of the things is, is like, what's going on with Los Angeles? Well, the World Cup is coming here. That's in uh, 2026, I 2026. believe. The World Cup, that's huge. Yeah, that's huge. The Olympics is coming here in 2028. Uh, also, 2026 is the 250th anniversary of the United States. And 2031 is the 250th anniversary of uh, Los Angeles as a city. So those are these opportunities that sometimes bring projects to us. It's like, oh... Would you like to do these are this? major, yeah, major, and, and, and major the, events. Like we did the hundredth anniversary, for example, of the LA Phil, the centennial of the Phil, the Los Angeles Philharmonic, the LA Philharmonic, and that was a huge event, which was so much fun. We actually closed. Like, and that just happened, twenty twenty two. No, that was twenty eighteen. That oh, was a 20, little while oh, 2018. ago. Twenty eighteen. And okay. you know, we combined Ciclavia with uh, with arts festivals, so we had a an eight mile Ciclavia connecting the LA Philharmonic's home downtown in Bunker Hill with their other home at the Hollywood Bowl. So we literally connected them with car-free streets. We had five music festivals happening simultaneously at the same time. And then we commissioned pieces like sonic and art pieces that moved in the street. Wow, So yes. that as if you were in the street as part of the event, these things were part of the flow. Moved, moved with you. Moved, yeah, moving with you. Amazing, that's awesome. So there's that kind of thing. And I actually would love, to, we also just did last year, the 25th anniversary of the Getty Center, uh, which was built in Brentwood and opened in 1997, and Community Arts Resources did the community and family openings, six days of openings for the Getty in 1997. So they asked us to do the 25th anniversary celebrations, and we created 10 different festivals in 10 communities around LA County. Here it is. 
Um, so Inglewood, Lincoln Heights, Long Beach, Koreatown, Pacoima, Reseda, San Gabriel Valley, Wilmington, Crenshaw, and Watts, right? So we were everywhere and each of these festivals had a very rooted community feeling that had to do with Reflected that Reflected that, that particular community. So yeah. those are two structural things, two ways of celebrating Los Angeles that we've helped create. The kind of the Philharmonic Centennial model, the Getty 25 model, the Ciclavia. And we want, we would hope that we can actually take those and ramp them up uh, for something like the World Cup in 26 and for the Olympics in 28. So that we really are working on the scale of the city and we are in places that where we're not expected to be. That's another uh, thing that we like to do with community arts resources and with our clients is to go where you don't expect us to be. Like, oh, it's like, oh, the arts happen. I remember the first Ciclavia, for example, when we were talking to the city and to other people who were saying, oh, there's, there's all those people who bike on the west side. You know, like, let's do, you already have a bicycle community there. Do it on the west side, you know? And I was like, no, we're, we actually want to do it in MacArthur Park and in Koreatown and in Boyle Heights and in downtown and in East Hollywood, places that maybe you don't see there's a bicycle community, but there is one, but also for, so that those communities that maybe don't have as many resources as other places on the west side have are elevated in the public eye and in their own eye. So we're hoping to, that's one thing. And, and another thing I'm working on, I'm very excited about is uh, the Center for Los Angeles and New Urban Leadership uh, that I've been working on with Donna Bajarski and Sarah Dussault, and which is affiliated with Arizona State University. And with that initiative, we're trying to rewrite civic culture. Like, like what does it mean to be an Angelino? And right now, to be an Angelino, there's a whole bunch of people who don't feel connected to this city, who don't feel it's worth, that, that they really have a stake in Los Angeles. And, and people, especially who have means and resources, think that you know, they can just, they, yeah, it's, this is LA, like I'm, their heart is somewhere else. And we need people to really see that this is their place. And we want people to have that sense of civic duty and civic obligation, but also participation and everything that comes from it. How do you, what does it mean to be absolutely engaged with Los Angeles? And to feel invested. And invested. In, in where you are right. and, and in the way that you've been, in, I mean, you've yeah, made your career investing in Los Angeles. Exactly, and we would like to, how can we spread that to more people so that this is a city where major things can happen and change can happen? Because we don't feel it can happen if people are so disengaged. Uh, so that's another project I'm, that I'm part of and I'm very excited about. Um, and then we didn't get a chance to talk about Yiddishkeit, which I'm very proud of. We created that in, I created, started that in 1994 because as I said, I grew up uh, with Yiddish culture, but I didn't see it reflected in Los Angeles in public. And so I said, well, I know how to do this. I actually know how to do arts and cultural events and put them in the public eye. So I'm going to do that for my culture. And that was a big thing to figure out for me. And it was another thing like where we did the first festival uh, for Yiddish. And as you said about expectations, everybody said, nobody's going to come to this. Like, who's going to come to a Yiddish festival? And, it's like, <laughs> and I said, people are going to come. Like, you, like this, there's a hunger for this. And 
And people were saying, oh, you know, you're going to get like 500 people. We had 5,000 people come to that family, that first family festival. And that really encouraged us that there was that audience. So now, almost 30 years later, Yiddishkeit has uh, taken, uh, merged with the Ohi Foundation in Ohi and now created something new called the Topa Institute. There's 36 acres. And we're looking to create an arts retreat, an arts and cultural center, and an arts retreat for artists uh, like the Yado Center and other artists' retreats that exist in other parts of the country. So I'm actually working in lots of different areas. I'm hoping I would say so. to, to, to really work, uh, continue my work with transportation, like with Ciclavia that got us into working with Caltrans, the Department of Transportation, because you know, honestly, there's more resources and funding there. And, uh, and the need, and, and tremendous need. need. And, and, and I don't, like the biggest thing, I'll, I'm just going to end with this, is uh, what I'm really tired of is everything being in a box. So, like, ooh, Yiddish is there. Arts and culture is here. Uh, Compton is here. Uh, homelessness is here. Like each of these issues, each of these things interrelate with each other. And if we stop dividing them up into little boxes, we will make much more progress if we start to see how these sectors, these communities, people all can work together. Because when you start breaking it up and saying, well, that's their issue. Oh, that's an issue having to do with homelessness. Or that's an issue having to do with public health. If you actually bring them all together in a holistic way, we can really address the challenges and make this a better city that well, we'll all be happy to live in. Well, you make a, a better city for us all being happier to live here. And you have no lack of challenges coming up. It seems like that's you look for the challenge, and we're grateful. I can, I can speak for a lot of people living in Los Angeles that we're grateful to you for never letting a barrier stop you from trying to overcome it or <laughs> rise above it. So, you know, thank you for everything you've done in the past. Thank you for the visions you're going to have for the future and for making all of us, as I said, living in Los Angeles, we're going to be a happier city and a more connected city. And, you know, we applaud, applaud you and, and cheer you on for all the things that you hope for, that we hope for, for all of us for the future. So thank you again for being here today. Thank you for taking the time. Mm -hmm. And we wish you all the luck in the world. Great. Thank you, Karen. And thank you to everybody out there listening and, and watching. Thank you so much, Aaron.